Hallelujah. Amen. The Gospel of John, chapter number one, beginning at verse number nine. If you found it, say amen. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become. Amen. It's one of my favorite verses. And that's one of my favorite phrases. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He came unto his own. He came unto his own. That's what I want to preach about tonight. He came unto his own. Can you put your Bibles down and lift your hands to heaven? And I'd like to hear you. I'm going to help you pray in just a second, but I'd like to hear you pray for a moment. Jesus, have your way tonight. Let the anointing of the Holy Ghost destroy every yoke, God. Let there be a mighty move of the Holy Ghost. Confirm your word with signs following tonight. Let it find good ground, O oh God. In the name of Jesus, accomplish your purpose for this service tonight. In Jesus' great name. Lord, give somebody the power to become tonight. Lord, let somebody receive you and receive power to become more than they ever dreamed they could be. God, to do things they never dreamed they could do. To change in ways they never thought they could change. In the name of Jesus, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Oh, hallelujah. I feel his presence here right now. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. One of the things that I am most thankful for is the hope that I have received in Jesus Christ. My hope is not in anything in this world. My hope is not in politicians. My hope is not in economics. My hope is not in the things that this world relies on. The psalmist wrote it in 146 and 5, Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope 
is in the Lord, his God. Amen. My hope is in the Lord, my God. My joy is in the Lord, my God. True happiness only comes when you know that no matter what happens in the world, that you have hope in Jesus Christ. Oh, yes, Lord. Hallelujah. The writer of the book of Hebrews spoke in the same vein as the psalmist when he said in chapter 6 and verse number 19, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. I'm glad that I have hope for the anchor of my soul. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Jesus is the anchor of my soul. My hope is the anchor that I have. Amen. Living in the blessings and the dominion of Jesus Christ can sometimes cause us to take our hope for granted. There was a time when hope was in short supply. Travel with me, if you can, back some 2,000 years to the ancient Israel when hope was sparse at best. It was a dark and a dreary time for Israel. It was a low watermark in the history of the nation of God's people. Long gone were the glory days of David and Solomon. Now Roman soldiers were quartered in the Holy Land. The legions ran roughshod over God's own people, and there appeared to be no relief in sight. The most powerful army in the world, the most powerful army the world had ever seen, enforced the rule of an empire of an emperor who lived some 1400 miles away the reach of the roman empire and their mighty legions it seemed knew no boundaries there were no negotiations there was no advocate there was no challenging the power of the emperor or his empire Roman taxes exhausted their economy. After the Romans took their tariffs, the little bit left was barely enough to survive. Businesses were on the brink of collapse. Families were in absolute peril. Culturally, the collective morals of the nation were degenerate. They were eaten up by hatred and division. They could see an injured man laying on the side of the street and casually crossed to the other side just to avoid having to help him. Spiritually, the nation was bankrupt. They had forgotten the value of sacrifice. 
instead of bringing their best. They set up in the court of the temple a discount bazaar where there they could buy cheap sacrifices and the money changers stole and robbed from the populace. In time, these cheap worshipers would cry with the primal bloodlust for the crucifixion of an innocent man who did nothing but good everywhere he went. Added to this laundry list of discouraging factors, the land of Palestine was overseen by a brutal tyrant by the name of Herod the Great. Herod had taken advantage of the Roman political system to scheme his way to the top. He was a wicked ruler who was equally brutal to his very own family. He was a brutal man who killed his own father-in-law. He killed several of his ten wives and two of his own sons. His uncontrolled ambition turned him into a monster. Religion offered little relief as the high priest was wicked and corrupt. He and his hand-picked associates were willing to negotiate for the arrest and the execution of an innocent man. The combined effect was a nation that had lost almost all hope. The one glimmer of hope that remained was the ancient voices of the prophets long in their graves. For centuries before, God had anointed his prophets and sages to speak of the coming Messiah. They detailed where he would be born. They detailed how he would be born. Many details of his advent were detailed in intricate manner by many voices over the centuries. Daniel saw him in Daniel 7 and 14 and said to him, to the Messiah, there was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed. Added to the voice of Daniel was the prophet Zechariah, who said in chapter 9, verse 9, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Isaiah saw the Messiah in 35, 5, and 6 when he said the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall a lame man leap as a heart and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. The prophet saw a day when the Messiah would come and redeem Israel. But the people, by the time that Matthew's gospel rolls around, but the people had lost all hope. 
when they should have heard the prophet's voices screaming, it seemed to them as a mere whisper. Yet the words of the prophet still should have inspired them to have some semblance of hope that abided deep in their heart. The blind are going to see. The lame are going to walk. The lepers are going to be cleansed. The deaf are going to hear. And the dead are going to be raised to life. And Jesus went about doing all of it. Matthew eleven forty five. when John sent his disciples to Jesus to say, are thou he, or do we look for another? Are you the Messiah, or should we look for somebody else? Are you the Savior, or will there be someone else? And Jesus answered in verses 4 and 5 of Matthew 11, Jesus answered and said unto them, go and show John again those things which you do hear and see, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Jesus did it right before their eyes. Jesus did it all right before their eyes, but they missed him. He came to his own, and they received him not. They were looking for a national hero. They were looking for a Messiah that would restore a natural kingdom to Israel. They were thinking politically and economically. Their eyes were on a military ruler. They were looking at the socio-political, carnal, worldly perspective. But Jesus was none of that. He was a spiritual leader. Amen. And so Lazarus was raised from the dead, but they missed it. He multiplied fish and bread, but they missed it. Blind, blind Bartimaeus had his eyes healed, but they missed the miracle. The woman with the issue of blood was healed, but they missed it. Somewhere the prophets must have been screaming, this is the one, this is the man, this is the Messiah. He came to his own, but they received him not. The lame man walked. The widow's son was raised up. The man at the pool of Bethesda was healed, but they missed him. He came to his own, but they received him not. They were looking for the wrong things. So Jesus didn't meet their expectations. He came to his own and they received him not. Even the disciples in Acts chapter number one were focused on the wrong things. These, these were the ones that Jesus had handpicked out of all of Israel, trained them himself, yet they were still focused on the wrong things. Look at Acts one and six. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? God, are you gonna give us power in the world? God, are you gonna restore our nation? God, are you gonna get rid of the Romans? Are you going, are you going to restore global domination? Instead, 
They could not fathom the Messiah reaching normal, regular people like you and I. They couldn't conceive of a Messiah that would be interested in common people with common problems. Their eyes were on the world stage and they missed the greatest example of God with us that there could have ever been. He came to his own and they received him not. I don't want my mind so preoccupied on things that have little bearing on the spirit. I don't want to get so tied up in this next year's election that I forget that I'm not here to elect a politician. I am here to have revival. Their eyes were on the world stage and they missed the greatest example of Emmanuel, God with us. This is the greatest day of revival that the world has ever known. But it's not happening in large, widely visible ways. We're looking for things that will rock the news networks. But can I tell you, in local churches and congregations around the world, people are coming to truth every single day. In Italy, we have more apostolic churches than we've ever had. In Germany, our churches are growing and expanding. In Russia, the church continues to grow and expand even in the face of what's going on in their part of the world. All over Africa, entire congregations are being baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. In Papua New Guinea, we have more churches than we've ever had. The churches in Mexico have planted three new churches in just the last few months with a plan to plant five more as fast as they can. In India, in Nepal, in Australia, in the Solomon Islands, in Fiji, new churches are growing. In Chile, they're planting churches. In Argentina, the church is growing. All across South and Central America, churches are being planted. It's not on Fox News or CNN or other networks, but make no mistake, around the world, revival is moving and taking. We baptized well over 100 people right here in this building, not counting nearly 200 in the prison just 20 miles away. It's revival time. It's revival time. It's time. He's come to his own. Oh, hallelujah, Messiah has come. The Savior has, somebody ought to praise him. Somebody ought to worship him. Messiah has come to his own. He came to the Jews and they missed him. Somehow they did not see the works and the prophecies being fulfilled. They were looking for a king or a warrior or a politician to establish them on the world stage. But to the family who hosted a wedding where he turned water into wine, he was everything they could have dreamed for. For the leper who was made whole, he was the savior. 
for the widow whose son was raised from the dead. He was the Messiah. For the thousands who ate bread and fish by the seaside, he was who he said that he was. For the lame man who walked and the blind man who saw and the deaf man who could hear, he was exactly who he said he was. He was the Messiah. He was the Savior. He was God with us. He came to his own in a manger. He came to his own through a virgin. He came to his own under a shining star and they received him not. The Savior had come and was fulfilling the very prophecies, but Israel missed it. He came to his own, but his own received him not. Israel couldn't see him because they were looking for the wrong things. They couldn't reconcile that a Messiah had come, but Herod was still king. How could Messiah be here and Herod be here too? How can God be moving and yet Herod, wicked, evil Herod, is on the throne? They couldn't reconcile that Messiah had come, yet culture Society and Herod were as wicked as they were. They could only see, I hope you're hearing me preach tonight. They could only see what the devil was doing. They could only see the economic problems. And they could only see the political situation. And they could only see the cultural situation. All they could see was Rome and Herod. They allowed Herod and Rome to dominate their faith. Every time hope tried to move, they saw Herod. Every time they thought revival had come, all they saw was Rome and Herod. And Rome and Herod limited their faith. Their circumstances blinded them to the fact that Messiah had come to his own. So they missed the lame walking and they missed the deaf hearing and the dumb speaking and the blind seeing and the dead being raised to life. It was happening all around them. But Herod had limited their faith so they couldn't believe that Messiah had come with Herod on the throne. Don't let the fact that Herod lives make you believe that revival is not here. Look, I know you're tired, but if you could wake up with me just for about 20 minutes, we'll be done. Amen. Let me say it again. Don't let the fact that Herod lives make you believe that revival isn't here. Don't let your faith be ruined by every Supreme Court ruling that comes down the pipe over the next 12 months. Don't let... Don't let your faith be destroyed by every politician that stands up and says this is not a God-fearing nation. Don't let the news media, don't let denominationalism, don't let the faithless limit your belief just because Herod's on the throne doesn't mean Messiah's not been born. Woo, I feel revival in the house tonight. But while Herod was on the throne, Messiah was setting captives free. While Herod was doing what he did, Jesus 
was doing his own work. You cannot let what the devil's doing distract you from what God is doing. Amen. You cannot let what the devil's doing distract you from what God's doing. Just because somebody backslides doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to get the Holy Ghost. Just because somebody gets carnal doesn't mean we're not going to baptize somebody else in Jesus' name. I'm telling you, don't let Herod limit your faith. There's revival here tonight. There's miracle power here tonight. The wise men came to worship Jesus. Matthew 2, 1 through 3. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Behold, everybody say in the days of Herod the king. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Now when Jesus was sent in revival to Bethlehem in the days of Republicans and Democrats. Now when Jesus was sending revival to Bethlehem in the day of gay marriage. When Jesus was sending revival to Bethlehem in the days of gender identity crisis. In the days when Jesus was sending, you cannot let the fact that Herod's on the throne make you believe that Jesus isn't moving. He's moving, he's moving, he's moving, he's moving. Oh, I, I know I just got us kicked off social media, but that's okay because I've come to tell somebody you cannot let what goes on out there affect what happens in here. Every time we come together, he comes to his own. Every time we gather and worship him, he comes to his own. Every time we sing about Jesus, he comes into this place. But the question is, will we receive him? Some are receiving him and worshiping. Some are receiving him and praying. Some are receiving him and responding, while some are receiving him not. Because you've got other things on your mind. You got other priorities. You got other things in life. But he's come tonight. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east. To Jerusalem saying where is he that is born king of the Jews for we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him when Herod the king heard these things he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him that verse 3 bothers me because I can understand why Herod would be troubled. I can understand why Herod would be bothered that another king had come. But my question is, why was Jerusalem bothered with the thought that the Messiah had come? I understand. Oh, God. I understand the carnal, wicked one complaining because Jesus has been born. But I don't understand 
Jews in Jerusalem that had heard the prophecies their entire life. And when they heard that Messiah had, I don't understand why they were bothered by revival coming to the nation. I don't understand why supposedly religious people were bothered by the fact that Jesus had come to redeem Israel. Amen. I don't, I, I understand, I understand that people who want to worship Jesus bother the Herods among us. But what I don't understand is why religious people can't get excited about what God's doing. Back several years ago, we prayed somebody through and they got baptized in Jesus' name. They were a drug addict and an alcoholic. They had ruined their family's name all over the community and they came to this church. They got baptized in Jesus' name. They got filled with the Holy Ghost and when they did, they put the alcohol bottle down, they put the drug needle down, they put the pills down, they put the weed down. When they came, they got delivered. They were shouting the victory. They were so excited to be free. But one time, they went home, and when they got around their so-called religious denominational family, their family said, I'd rather you be an alcoholic than be a Pentecostal. I'd rather you be a drug addict. And so they got exactly what they asked for. They went right back to the stuff that God had delivered. I can understand Herod not wanting Jesus to come, but I can't understand Jerusalem I'm not wanting him to come. I can understand the atheist and the agnostic and the Satan worshiper not wanting Jesus to move here. But what I can't understand is people on the pews that say, not tonight, Jesus. I've got all, I got all that I want. Don't bother me tonight, Lord. I got to get home. Don't bother. I'm telling you, I don't understand Jerusalem not wanting Jesus. I wish somebody praise him right now. I wish somebody put out a welcome mat of praise and say, Jesus, I'm not troubled. If you want to move here, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't trouble me one bit. People who want to worship Jesus trouble those who don't. It bothers spiritually dead people when Jesus is worshiped. People with Herod's spirit always hate Worshippers. Herod the wicked tyrant decided that all the babies in Bethlehem would have to die. He couldn't find someone to tell him which one was the Messiah, and so he decided, I'll kill them all so that none of them could challenge him for his throne. This, this wasn't planned to be part of my message, but I'm going to preach it anyway. If you notice in the time in, e in Egypt when Moses was about to be born, when a deliverer was about to be born, Pharaoh passed a law, all the Jewish babies got to die. Throw them in the Nile, let the crocodiles eat them because we can't have a deliverer showing up and setting people free. And then you look in the time of Jesus when he was born. Herod did the same thing. All the babies got to die. We can't, have, we can't have deliverance coming. And what's happening right now in the last 50 years or 60 years of our nation's history, right at about the time that God's going to send deliverance to this land, they're doing all they can to kill all the babies through abortion. I'm going to tell you, an apostolic is against abortion. A Christian is against abortion. 
a moral person is against abortion. It's the enemy's attempt to stop as many tongue talkers from being born as there can be. But I've come to tell you, there's still going to be a Moses and there's still going to be a Messiah and there's still going to be a church. There's victory in Jesus. Glory to God, glory to God, glory. I wish somebody would praise the Lord right now. I feel deliverance coming. I feel deliverance coming. I feel a Messiah coming. He's coming to his own. And then Herod, verse 16, then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth. This, this verse, I, I, this bothers me. Now, I, again, this is something I thought about, didn't put in my message, and now I wish I would have, but you're getting it anyway, so I guess it doesn't matter. When he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, Herod was not mocked by the wise men. They knew he was going to try to kill the baby, and so they just went home a different way. But when somebody's spirit's wrong, they take everything personal. when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men. In other words, because he didn't get his way. He was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. He killed the babies, but he didn't stop the Savior. Oh, Jesus. Verse 13 of Matthew 2, and when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Everybody say, the Lord appeared to Joseph. Saying, arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt and be thou there until I bring thee word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. May I tell you that God will do whatever he has to do to preserve revival. Amen. God doesn't need me to have revival. And if I become an obstacle to it, he can move me right out of the way. Because God's going to do whatever he has to do to have a Holy Ghost revival church in this end time hour. Amen. If he's got to go revive denominations to get them to the truth, he'll do it. If he has to crawl over a dead apostolic church to find a sinner in a gutter that will serve him, he'll do it. If he's got to crawl over an apostolic pew full of dead men's bones to find an alcoholic that says, I'll do anything if you'll set me free. God will do whatever he has to do. Jesus was taken to Egypt to be preserved. Egypt, famous for killing the Jews. Egypt, famous for enslaving God's people. Egypt, famous for being taskmasters over God's people. But God had to send Jesus to Egypt to be preserved. It's sad 
when Egypt is safer for the Messiah than Israel. Oh, Jesus, help me tonight. Oh, Jesus, help me tonight. It's sad when Israel is more dangerous than Egypt. It's sad when Pentecostal people are less loving to lost folks than the world is. It's sad when the Lord's safer in Egypt than he is in Israel. Something's out of alignment in Israel when Jesus is more safe in Egypt. God, God, help me preach right now. Oh, hallelujah. I don't want the world to be more safe for the Lord than the church. I don't want God to be more at home in Egypt than he is in an apostolic church. You look at some churches, they look just like the world. They act just like the world. God, let Israel be a safe place. Sad, it's sad, it's sad. And Jesus is safer in Egypt than he is in Judea. In the land of worship and in the land of praise. It'd be terrible if God looked my way for worship and I was not hospitable to his presence. And so we had to go to some denomination that denied the truth centuries ago to find somebody hungry enough to seek his face. Back a few months ago, back a few months ago when the Asbury revival was going, going wide open and, and it was stirring, it was stirring the entire nation. Y'all want me to preach my heart to you? Because if you don't, I probably better skip this point. You would, you would hear about these young people that do not know truth. They do not know baptism in Jesus' name. They do not know about the present infilling of the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues. They've never been taught holiness from a pulpit. But yet they gather together night after night to weep and seek the presence of God and ask God to send revival to America and to this world. 35 minutes from here in a chapel on the Ole Miss campus, young people from all over the country, very few of them apostolic, gathered in that chapel. And I went at 8 o'clock in the morning and I stayed for hours because there was something about those young people. Did they know the truth? No, they did not. But they were weeping and crying out. I sat I sat there and I wept for hours listening to these young people cry and pray. And then I would go on social media and I would see apostolics saying there's nothing to it. It's not real. God was safer in Egypt than he was in Israel. Maybe if our prayer rooms had been full, he would have had to go to Asbury. Maybe if our altars were full of people saying, God, send revival to America. But God was safer in Egypt. 
was safer. What's worse, somebody that's unholy that has never heard holiness preached or someone that's unholy that is denying holiness preaching? It's when God's safer in Egypt than he is in Israel. Something's out of alignment. When Egypt is more hospitable to a Messiah than his very own people. God, I gotta make, we gotta make our church and our lives hospitable for the Messiah to come. He came unto his own. God, I wanna receive you. Pharaoh was not a friend of Israel. Pharaoh was not a friend of revival, but he didn't oppose it like Herod did. Messiah was alive, but he was not revealed to the world because Herod opposed him. In Jerusalem, people who had read scriptures their entire life had recited messianic prophecies their entire life. Men and women who had grown up in synagogues and temples and heard and learned the scripture and memorized the Torah. Every one of them could quote it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Shema Israel. Elohim. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God. They could quote it. They could quote it. They prayed the morning prayers and the evening prayers. They offered the sacrifices. They knew it all. They had done it all their whole entire life. But to them, it was just religion. And so when the fulfillment of everything they had ever heard was coming to pass before their very eyes, he came to his own and they missed him. And I preach just a minute or two more. Listen, I believe in revival. And I believe in the work of Jesus Christ. Messiah is alive. As those Jews in ancient Israel sat reciting their prayers and quoting the Torah and reading the prophets and quoting messianic prophecies, out of Bethlehem will come a Savior. While they quoted Daniel and Isaiah and Micah, while they spoke, spoke the words of Zechariah and Haggai and the prophets and spoke of the coming Messiah while they quoted the scriptures, little did they know that just over the border in Egypt, the very answer to everything they were reading about, singing about, and praying about was waiting on Herod to die. I remember when I came home from Africa in 1995. I had spent a week in crusades with tens of thousands of people seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. In one day, we saw over 3,000 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I saw, I saw withered limbs straighten and be healed. I saw people carried in on stretchers that left leaping and praising God. I saw with my own eyes and heard with my own ears as deaf mutes who had never spoken were touched with the Holy Ghost and instantly their voice and their ears were healed and God touched them. I saw it with my own eyes. 
I saw, I stood there in the middle of thousands of people and I saw it as the Holy Ghost began to fall from the, my left all the way across and as people were being filled with the Holy Ghost, you could see the cloud of glory as God was moving and I came home from Africa and just a few weeks later, three or four weeks later, I was at one of our general conferences and I was sitting having lunch with an elder and I sat with him and I told him everything I saw. I told told him about the blind being healed and the lame walking and I told him about the deaf speaking and I told him about people getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost and I thought I thought he would be ecstatic. I thought he would say, praise God, Jesus is alive. But when I finished talking about what I had seen with my own eyes, he said four words. I don't believe it. He killed the Messiah right before my eyes. He received him not. I'm going to tell you, I, I heard what he said. But what he told me at a lunch counter in Little Rock, Arkansas couldn't stop what I had seen in Ethiopia. What he told me over a cheeseburger in Arkansas could not quell what I know that I had seen with my own eyes and I believed it ever since that day and I've seen it in Asia and I've seen it in South America and I've seen it in Europe and I've seen it in Central America and I've seen it right here in the United States. Do you realize we saw with our own eyes in September with a man when a man was instantly healed of cancer? I saw it. I sat with the man's son-in-law about four days ago. He said the doctors can't explain it, but he's doing better than he's done in 20 years. Revival has come. Brother Travis, I saw you. I saw you walk. I saw you hobble down that gravel pathway between those seats under that tent that night. I saw you after you got out of your car in that service when the preacher said somebody in their car, God's gonna heal them. And I, and I was just waiting. I'm thinking, man, maybe he missed this one. But then I saw Brother Travis hobble his way under that tent. And I thought, surely the man of God's gonna go meet him. I mean, that's a hard walk for somebody that hurts that bad. But he didn't leave the pulpit. He made Brother Travis walk all the way down, but it's the best walk he's ever had in his life. Messiah, he came to his own. I believe it, 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 I believe it. I believe it, I believe it, because I've seen it. God, I don't want my faith to be. I don't want you. God, I don't want you to be more comfortable in Egypt than you are right here. Oh, Jesus. I don't believe it. It's what he said. But I still believe it 
Just like he visited Israel one more time before he opened the door to the Gentiles, God is going to visit the modern apostolic church one more time. He's going to come to his own. And if we'll receive him to us, he'll give power to become the sons of God. Can I preach a minute or two more? Go ahead and stand. I, I've, got, I've got four more pages but I'm sure is the world not going to preach them. Herod killed all the babies in Judea because he felt mocked and threatened by what God was doing. He made it all about him instead of about Jesus. When you make it about you, you kill your revival. The very Messiah that could have forgiven Herod for killing his father-in-law, several of his wives, and his own two sons, the, the very one that he rejected was the one that could have forgiven him for all of it. But when you kill your revival, you kill your hope. Matthew 2, 19 and 20. But when Herod was dead, But when Herod was dead, when carnal died, when wicked died, when worldly died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeareth in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. When Herod dies, the supernatural realm comes alive. When Herod dies, angels start moving. When Herod dies, Egypt gets a word from the Lord saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go into the land of Israel, for they are dead which sought the young child's life. Jesus came back to his own when Herod finally died. I wonder what has to die in me for angels to start moving. I wonder what has to die in my spirit and my attitude for angels to call revival home. I wonder what I gotta throw out of my closet. I wonder what I gotta throw out of my heart. I wonder what I gotta change about my habits to get an angel to move and call my revival back home. But when Herod was dead, some of you, your revival's waiting on your Herod to die. Your Herod is not another person. Your Herod's not your spouse. It's not your boss. Herod is that part inside of you that rejects the Messiah. He came to his own. And his own received him. Not. 
I know, I know what you preach, Pastor. I don't, I don't want to do that. Well, your Jesus is going to stay in Egypt until you change your mind. Pastor, I, I know I ought to be more faithful, but I, I got so much stuff going on. I, I need the overtime. I got so much happening in my life that I just, I just don't have time. Will you let your Herod live and let your revival stay in Egypt? Pastor, I got, when I get this, when I get this settled, when I get this taken care of, I'm going to come and I promise you I'm going to give my best. When I take care of this issue, it's going to, but, but it's just not the right time right now for me to give my all. All right, then you let Herod live and let your Messiah stay in Egypt. But when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for they are dead, which sought the young child's life. Your revival won't have to die if you get the Herod out of your heart. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Look, we're, we're not to the shouting part yet. The shouting part's the last three pages. I'm not going to preach it. Lift your hands to heaven. troubled Herod and Jerusalem. Oh, Jesus, I feel a call to my heart. He came to his own. Can you be at home? God, if you can't move here, where can you move? God, if you can't revive me, who can you revive? He came to his home. As your hands are lifted all over this place, those in the altar and those in the pew. But when Herod was dead, Herod, you've killed enough revivals. Herod, you've killed enough babies. Herod, you've taken too much. It's time for you to die. I've let carnality steal my walk with God. I've let addiction steal my joy. I've let bitterness rule my heart. 
I've let jealousy and gossip destroy my peace. I've let worldliness steal my revival long enough. Tonight, Herod dies. And when Herod draws his last breath, there's an angel saying, come on, revival, it's time. Revive this family. Revive this marriage. Revive this man. Revive this woman. Revive this young person. Breathe life into this home. Breathe life into this marriage. Bring life, breathe life into this soul. Come back now out of Egypt because Herod has finally died. He came to his own. As your eyes are closed all over this place. at least twice this many people that should be in the altar right now. your hands. He come to his own right now. Every child of God ought to receive him. Every child of God ought to receive him and to as many as received them, to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even unto them that called upon his name why don't you call the name of Jesus right now I believe it's alright to say God help me I believe it's alright to say Lord help me but there's something powerful when you call that name Jesus Jesus help me Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I receive you. I receive you into my home. I receive you into my family. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Oh, Jesus, my Savior. Jesus, my Messiah. Jesus, my Lord. Jesus, my Christ. Jesus, my healer. Jesus, my helper. Jesus, my reviver. You receive him by calling on his name. Jesus, help me. power to become to those that call on his name Jesus help me become delivered help me become an overcomer 
Oh, come on. I feel like there's a, a breakthrough in prayer about to hit this place right now. touch my children Jesus touch my home Jesus touch my finances Jesus touch my job situation I receive you into my decision making process I receive you into my parenting process I receive you into my marriage and my communication process. We receive you into this church, God. Jesus, we receive you into this place. Lay your hand on somebody close to you and tell them as many as received him. To them gave he power to become. Look at somebody, tell them you've got the power to become anything God wants you to be. Come on, tell them you've got the power to become anything that God says you can be. You've got the power to be an overcomer. Oh, come on. We're just going to let the Holy Ghost move here for a minute. We're not going to do something else. We're going to do this. Oh, Jesus. Jesus. We receive you, Lord. We receive you. Receive you, Lord. We receive you. We receive you. I receive you, God. Speak that name over your situations and circumstances. Speak that name over your loved ones and your family. Speak that name over your financial trouble. Speak that name over your, your disease and believe God. He came. I'm glad you came, Lord. I'm glad you came, born of a virgin. I'm glad you came in that manger. I'm glad you came and shepherds sang. I'm glad you came and angels sang. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being born. Thank you. Thank you for coming to your own.
Amen. Lift your hands and worship him. Sing that chorus. your hands to heaven. We're getting ready to change the order of the service for just a few moments. We're going to do a baby dedication. feel the presence of the Lord moving here right now. He came to his own. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I'd like for Brother Austin and Sister Elizabeth and any members of their family who would like to, to gather here in the altar. 
altar area. Maternal grandparents, Brother Brian, Sister Amy Henderson. Maternal great-grandparents, Brother Robert, Sister Diane Gray. Paternal grandparents, Brother David and Sister Dana Hughes. Great-grandparents, Brother Sam and Sister Darlene Wilson. We're here tonight to dedicate Adelie Grace Hughes. Adelie is the fifth generation of Bethlehem Church members on both sides of her family. Her mother's side and her father's side. In Genesis 45, Joseph was speaking to his family in Egypt. And here's what he said. Joseph said in verse number seven, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. The word posterity means all future generations and descendants. To preserve means to maintain something in its original or existing state, to retain, to keep alive, to keep safe from harm. Joseph said, God sent me here to preserve your future generations and to maintain it in its original state. And so God made a way to preserve the posterity of Sister Verla May Stanton and Brother Jay Frank and Sister Lillian Wilson now through five generations in Bethlehem to preserve a posterity, to preserve the apostolic truth and message in its original state. One of my favorite things to do as pastors is to dedicate babies because it is a signal that we have a future. Babies in the church are a reminder to the enemy that faith is not dead. Baby dedication is not a sacrament like baptism or communion. There's nothing magical about what we're doing tonight. This does not save a child. However, it's a powerful moment for the family, for the baby, and for the church. As tonight, the church and family are contracting together both parties committing to work together to raise this child in a way that honors God. The parents are pledging themselves to raise Adelie in a godly home. The church is pledging to preach and practice truth and discipleship and prayer, worship and holiness in a way that impacts the destiny of this child. In that sense, tonight's Tonight's ceremony serves as a contract between her natural family and her spiritual family to work together to bring about Adelie's God-given destiny and purpose. This is a step of boldness for parents to declare that all their lives, even parenting, is all about Jesus. 
The true calling of every parent is to make a disciple out of their child. Secondly, it creates a built-in accountability for parents within the church body. For now, there are witnesses before whom we dedicate and make vows before God. With Austin and Sister Elizabeth, may I tell you that this church has been a wonderful place for me to raise my children. This church has loved my children, prayed for my children, and supported my children, and you've been part of that. You've taken them all over the country. Being raised as a child in a pastor's home is different. Compelled by the, by the testimony of the scripture, we understand that a call to pastoral ministry not only upon the man, is not only upon the man whom God has called, but it has implications on his wife and his children. Their lives are so intimately intertwined with his and his ministry that the joys and sorrows and trials and triumphs are theirs as well as his. A pastor's kid sees a child or sees a church from a different point of view. Sometimes the church is competition for attention. Sometimes the church is a distraction from playing Barbies or tea parties. The preacher's child will either grow to resent the church or they will learn to carry the burden of the church. And that is largely going to be upon your shoulders. For most members, the church is where they go to worship. For the pastor and his family, the church is everything. And so the child of a minister often has unreasonable expectations from the congregation and sometimes from mom and dad. When there's trouble in the church, the child will become disillusioned often. So a pastor's child has a different set of pressures and expectations than most others. And so when we dedicate a child from a pastoral family, there are additional things for us to pray over the child. The enemy would love nothing more than to trip this child and bring added pressure on the minister. And so as we dedicate Adelie tonight, we do so understanding that we are praying for her unique life that she has been born into. Precedent for this ceremony of baby dedication is found in the scripture. Samuel was brought by Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter number 1. It's further found in the presentation of Christ by Joseph and Mary in Luke chapter 2. And Paul reminded Timothy that from a child he had been taught the holy scriptures. The purpose of baby dedication is really found in the purpose of the parents. Rightly understood, this ceremony is Brother Austin and Sister Elizabeth dedicating themselves to disciple Adelie Grace Hughes to the Lord. And so as you dedicate this child, I'm going to give you five vows before the Lord and before the church tonight. If these are your vows, please answer, we do, after they've been stated. Your first vow, do you dedicate yourself to wholeheartedly pursue 
your own relationships with God, depending on the Holy Spirit to guide and direct you both, knowing that the life you model will shape this child even more deeply than the words you say. Do you dedicate yourself to actively participate in the church, investing in people and using your gifts for the sake of the kingdom as an example for Adelie to follow? Do you promise to live the vision of the church to be disciples and make disciples and understand that your child needs to see scriptural values and purpose and the purpose of the church active in your life so that she too will be an active disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you promise to always raise this child in the truth of God's holy word, putting the Lord first in all matters? Vow number five, do you promise to live an example of faithfulness, holiness, and virtue before her in such a way that your words and actions do not conflict? Upon your stated vows, the word of the Lord comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter number six, beginning at verse number four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And verse number seven, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. This is the commandment of God. And in obedience to this command, these parents have brought Adelie grace to present her to the Lord. They have pledged themselves before this congregation to obey the command of Paul. Provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so we close this ceremony before we pray with the promise I'm giving you a promise from the word that no matter what hell throws your way, my Bible and your Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. I'm gonna ask you to stand with me. This is gonna be our closing prayer. Amen. It's my favorite part. I get to hold the baby. Amen. I was looking for Bishop. Oh, there he is. I'm going to ask you to pray, if you will, while I get to hold the baby. Amen. Will you reach your hand out towards this family? And let's believe God to do a mighty work in this baby's life. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for giving these parents this child. And Lord, thank you for giving this child these parents. Thank you for bringing her to a place like this to be dedicated to the Most High God. We give her to you today for safekeeping touch her mind, her soul, her body. Give her grace as she grows in stature, Lord. Help her to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. Give these parents wisdom 
give these grandparents, great-grandparents wisdom and knowledge to train this child in the way that it should go. Help her, Lord, to have a tendency to be spiritually minded. Give her grace to serve you and help her to be faithful to the end. So one day she'll be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with your spirit and be a part of your work, be a part of your ministry. We give her to you tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Bless you.